please turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 16. Lord willing, we'll finish this chapter today. Matthew chapter 16, verses 27 and 28. Matthew chapter 16, verses 27 through 28. For the Son of Man is going to come with His angels in the glory of His Father. And then He will repay each person according to what He has done. Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in His kingdom. Father, we praise You that You have given us this Word, that You tell us what's going to happen. Lord, all over the place in Your Word, You've told us what's going to happen before it happens, and then it happens. You, you told us numerous times in Your Word in the Old Testament uh, about Jesus before He came. Hundreds of years before He came, You told us He would be a suffering servant, that He would be crushed for our iniquities. Lord, You told us where He would be born. You, you told us that He would be born of a virgin. You told us all these things hundreds of years before He was even born. And, and then it all happened. Thank You, God. We can trust You that what You say happens. That Jesus told His disciples over and over again that He would be killed and handed over be crucified, rise from the dead, and then it happened. Lord, we thank You. We have a sure word from You. Lord, we say things, we think things, we feel things, and we change like vapor. Like the flower of the field that is here today and gone tomorrow is ours. That's how we are, Lord. That's how our promises can be. Though they shouldn't as believers, that's how our thoughts and feelings are, just up and down, up and down, up and down. We praise You, Jesus, that You are the same yesterday, today, and forever, that You are a rock, that You never change, and we can trust Your Word and what You say will happen. And so, God, let us hear from You today. Turn our attention to Your Word. Holy Spirit, we pray that You would work in us, that You would mold and shape us, that You would prepare us, Lord, for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. We Pray for those who are members of our church who are not here today. We ask, O oh Lord, that You would be with them, that You would bring them. We ask, Lord, that You would get glory as we meditate upon Your Word this morning. For Jesus' sake, amen. amen. Two weeks ago, we saw Jesus turn the minds of His disciples to the fact that He would be a suffering Christ. They didn't expect that. Peter declared Jesus to be the Christ, the Son of the living God, but the disciples didn't understand that Jesus would be a suffering Christ. That He would have to suffer and die and rise again to save His people from their sins. Last week we saw Jesus tell His disciples that, that if they would truly follow Him, they must give to Him their full commitment, allegiance, and loyalty and follow Him in His sufferings. 
Matthew 16, 24, Then Jesus told His disciples, If anyone would come after Me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow Me. Then Jesus gave us reasons for why we should deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow Him. Number one, He said if you lose your life for Jesus' sake, you will find it. So again, it's not self-denial for self-denial's sake, but denying yourself a lesser good for a greater good. And we thought about that last week. If you lose your life, if you deny yourself and take up your cross and die to self and die to the things of this world and the pursuits of this world and the loves of this world and live for the loves of Christ and, and follow the, the Word of God and, and sacrifice for the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll find your life. And so do it. He gives us motivations. This is how you'll find your life. And, and we see three other reasons in our text today that Jesus gives us for why we should deny ourselves and take our cross and follow Jesus. Jesus is coming back. That's another reason that we should deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow Jesus is because He's coming back. And, and, and next, we, we should do that because Jesus is going to repay each person according to what He has done. And finally, we see some of the disciples that Jesus was speaking to there would see Jesus coming in His kingdom. And so Jesus is giving His disciples reasons for why they should deny themselves and take up their cross and follow Him. And so we'll look at those last three reasons today. Number one, Jesus Christ is going to come back on the day of judgment. Look at verse 27. For the Son of Man is going to come with His angels in the glory of His Father. Son of Man, as you know, uh, is a way that Jesus loves to uh, speak of Himself. It both reveals and conceals. He's a man, and it conceals in the sense the Son of Man that we read about in Daniel is, is this divine figure who God would send to bring in an everlasting kingdom. This is Jesus, and He says He's going to come with His angels in the glory of His Father. Jesus Christ will return. In our statement of faith as a church, we have one of our uh, uh, paragraphs of what we believe is called of the world to come. And it says this, we believe that the end of the world is approaching, that at the last day Christ will descend from heaven and raise the dead from the grave to final retribution. That, that word retribution is what is being said in our text. He will repay Everyone for what they have done, whether good or bad. That a solemn separation will then take place. That the wicked will be a judge to endless punishment and the righteous to endless joy. And that this judgment will fix forever the final state of men in heaven or hell on principles of righteousness. That is what we believe the Bible teaches at this church. And one of the reasons we believe it is because Jesus says it right here. In our text. Other places in Scripture where we hear of Christ's return. Acts chapter 1, verses 10 through 11. Acts chapter 1, verses 10 through 11. And while they were gazing into heaven, as Jesus ascended into heaven, 
Behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw Him go into heaven. He's coming back. He's coming back. Hebrews 9.28 So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time. Not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for Him. He's coming back to save who? Those who are eagerly waiting. Come, Lord Jesus. Come quickly. 1 Thessalonians 4.17 But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep. It's a way the New Testament speaks of those who are dead. Speaks of Christians as being asleep. Because we're going to get up one day. That you may not grieve as those who do not have hope. Who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus God will bring with Him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with the cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Jesus is coming back. Now, now just a, a sort of side note on this. A lot of people see this scripture as, a, as a, 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 a reason why they believe in a rapture. That we'll be called up to heaven with the Lord and then be taken away. I want you to know, beloved, I don't believe that's what this text is saying. In the, in the, in the Roman world, in the ancient world, when, when, a, when a king or a, a warrior went out to conquer and they came back to the city, the people would go out outside the city gates and meet the conqueror and come with him back into the city. So, so I understand this. Jesus is going to come back. We're not going to be taken away. If you read some of the words of Jesus, the people who are taken, that's actually for judgment. That's bad to get taken away. <laughs> We're going to go up with him in the air to come back with him as he establishes the new heavens and new earth and reign with him forever. He's coming back. To usher in the new heavens and the new earth where righteousness will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. And, and Jesus Christ's return will be glorious, this text tells us. He's going to come back with His angels in the glory of His Father. Jesus is coming back with His angels. 2 Thessalonians 1, 7-10 When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with His mighty angels in flaming fire. It's going to be amazing. Jesus says this as well in Matthew 24, 31. And He will send out His angels with a trumpet, with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather His elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. He's coming back with angels, these, these warriors of heaven, the Lord's army. And it says He's coming back in the glory of His Father. Beloved, God does not share His glory with anyone. But this text says that Jesus is coming back in the glory of His Father. Isaiah 48, 11, God says, My glory I will not give to another. 
So what is this saying? That Jesus is God. Jesus is God. He's coming back with the glory of His Father. Jesus' return will be a manifestation of the holiness of His Father and a manifestation of the power of His Father and of the beauty of His Father and of the truth of His Father and the justice of His Father. This will be a manifestation of the patience of His Father and the grace and mercy of His Father and the goodness of His Father when He comes back. Secondly, Jesus Christ is going to repay each person according to what He has done. Look at verse 27 again. For the Son of Man is going to come with His angels in the glory of His Father, and then He will repay each person according to what He has done. Again, beloved, I just want you to see this. Jesus is God. <laughs> Jesus is God. Do, do, you, do you know what the Old Testament says about who will re reward each person according to what He has done? The Lord God does that. Psalm 62, 11-12 once God has spoken, twice have I heard this, that power belongs to God and that you and that to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love for you will render to a man according to his work. Old Testament says God Almighty is going to do that. Here in our passage today, Jesus tells us Jesus is going to do that. Conclusion, Jesus is God Almighty. And Jesus will judge the wicked. He will repay them. Jesus tells us He's going to repay every person according to what He's done. Jesus will judge the wicked. He's going to judge the wicked. There is a judgment day coming. And you see, don't you, beloved, that people don't believe that. The way people act, the things people do, they don't believe there's a judgment day coming. Let me tell you, when I was in high school and I began to truly trust Jesus, this is something He drove hard in me. God's going to judge you, Joseph, someday. Everything you've ever done, everything you've ever thought, everything you've ever said, God's going to judge you, son. What you going to do? Oh, God hit me with that. I walked down my high school uh, trembling, scared. It's good to get people to tremble a little bit. We just always go straight to grace and mercy. Now, let them tremble a little bit. Read the book of James. How mourn, weep, ye sinners. Wash your hands, you adulterous people. We walk in that trembling a little bit longer. That grace will be more amazing. God going to judge. We, sometimes we preach at Broadway and people say, you don't, Jesus said don't judge people. And we, we just have to say, ma'am, sir, we're, we're trying to warn you, God is going to judge. He is going to judge. And we love you. And we want you to be saved. And so we warn that Jesus will judge the wicked. 2 Thessalonians 1, 7-11, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with His mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God 
and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might when He comes on that day to be glorified in His saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. Jesus is coming back to inflict vengeance on those who do not know God. What does that look like? It looks like Revelation 19, 11 through 15. Revelation 19, 11 through 15. Then I saw heaven open and behold a white horse. The one sitting on it is called faithful and true. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire. And on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. Does Putin know this? He thinks he's all tough with his armies? Does the leader of China know this? I mean, the the Bible says that these nations are a drop in a bucket. That they're like dust and less than nothing. They're going to give an account to God for what they do. They're going to give an account to King Jesus. And the description of, of, of that return is that these men... In their power, they're going to cry for mountains and rocks to fall and to shield them from the wrath of Jesus Christ. Because He's taking names right now. And He warns, kiss the Son, lest He be angry and you perish in the way. Jesus is coming back to judge the wicked. He's going to judge the wicked. And that's what Jesus tells us here. And, and, Jesus will reward the righteous. He's going to repay the righteous. How do you get righteous? How do you get righteous? Well, I'm glad you asked. You see, the Bible tells us that we're not righteous, right? The, the, the Bible tells us that we're all sinners. We've, we've all sinned against God. We all deserve that judgment, We deserve what we read about in 2 Thessalonians 1. We deserve the vengeance of Jesus, the flaming fire. We we deserve that sword to come out of His mouth and slice us to pieces. Uh, We we deserve for, 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 for the wrath of God to consume us because of our sin. Because we're unrighteous. Because we've sinned against God in manifold ways by what we've done and by what we've left undone, by what we've said and by what we've thought and we've sinned against God. And we deserve His wrath in hell. But He shows us amazing grace. Are you amazed? He shows us amazing grace. We deserve that judgment, but, but He loves sinners. God Love sinners. So he sent his son Jesus, who is speaking us today in his word. He sent us Jesus, and, and Jesus, unlike anyone who's ever lived, Jesus lived a perfect life. Friends, that's why Buddha's dead, because Buddha was a sinner. 
That's why Muhammad's dead. I, I was at ShopRite yesterday, and I, we, we, we hand, hold out tracts and say good news about the Lord Jesus Christ, and sometimes the Muslim will say, As-salamu alaykum. And, and uh, the proper response is, Ma'am, your prophet's dead. He's dead. You're going to end up dead like him. You, you need someone who conquered the grave. Jesus died for sin, but not his own sin. He died for our sin. He died for the sins of the world and, and, and was buried. And on the third day, he rose up from the dead so that if we turn from our sins and believe in him, we, we can be forgiven and enjoy this amazing grace. Does that get old? Does that get old to you, believer? For God so loved the world. I'm thankful to be a pastor. Because when I stand in front of somebody on their deathbed, it's just the basics. I, I, just, want, I just want the basics. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. That's the good news. That's the gospel. Friend, have you believed that gospel? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. And when you do that, God declares you righteous. When you believe on Him, He declares you righteous no matter how bad you've been, no matter how many people you've killed, no matter how wicked you are, how bad your past is. The moment you believe, God forgives all that sin. Past sin, present sin, future sin, all sin forgiven. And the righteousness of Jesus Christ is counted as yours by faith alone. And God says you're righteous. And that righteousness can't increase or decrease for all eternity because it's Christ's righteousness and He's in heaven. This is, this is how you get righteous. By repenting of your sins and believing in Jesus. You're not going to earn it by coming here. I, I'm not going to earn it by being a good preacher or a good pastor. You, you're not going to earn righteousness by being a good husband or a good wife or a good parent. And we often think that way. Have I done enough? Have I been good enough? Have I earned this? We're naturally prone to think that way as slaves and not sons. The good news of the gospel is that you can't earn it. You receive it by faith alone in Christ alone. Friend, have you done that? That's how you get righteous, by trusting in Jesus. And when you do that, when you do that, God the Holy Spirit comes and lives in you. God lives in you so that you change, not because well, I got to change because I got to be like my mom wants me to be. I got to be like my dad wants me to be. I got I to, the pastor told me if I don't change, I'm going to go to hell. I better change. You see, when you believe in Jesus, you, you, he changes you yeah. from the inside out. He, he just changes what you delight in. You, 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 you delighted in sin before and now you delight in God and His Word and His commandments. You, you, you find what He says to be enjoyable and good and delightful and you find your sin boring 
and evil and wicked and you want to turn from it because He changes you. And, and, and so the, the righteous will do good works. The righteous will do good works. Those who have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, they will do good works. Revelation 19, 7 through 8. Let us rejoice and exult and give Him glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and His bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen and bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of Jesus Christ. That's not what it says. <laughs> that's true. That's a true statement. But that's not what this text says. Let's back up. And his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. Yes, we're clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. Yes, we're justified by faith alone in Christ alone. But those who know Him by faith alone will do good deeds. And that righteousness that covers you will be the righteous deeds of the saints. You do righteous deeds, believer, that God is pleased with. No, all your righteousness is not as filthy rags as believers. People wrongly talk about that text from Isaiah. No, as, as believers, you do good deeds that please God. Yes, they must be washed in the blood of Jesus, but they please God. The Bible says you do good works that please God. Now, you know, parents, their children come home from kindergarten and they, they've done some coloring for the first time and it's all outside the lines and it's all messed up and, and it's not perfect but daddy and mommy oh Johnny this is a masterpiece we're going to put this up on the refrigerator that's how God is with our good deeds that they're good works that he celebrates that he ordained that we would walk in the righteous will do good works because we have the Spirit of God dwelling in us. Ezekiel 36, 27, 26 and 27. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. The righteous will do good works. And these good works are not the basis or foundation of our justification, but the evidence of it. These good works are not the basis or foundation or ground of our justification, but the evidence of it. We're justified by faith alone, in Christ alone, apart from works of the law. But that faith alone that justified will move us to godly action and obedience to God's commands. These good works are the fruit, not the root. They're the fruit of this new life that we have in Jesus. Romans 4, 4 through 8. To the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but trusts him, who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. 
And so that's justification by faith alone. He justifies the ungodly by faith. But those who have this faith will do good deeds. James 2, 14-17. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to him, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. The Bible teaches that these good works are not the basis or ground of our justification, but they are evidence of true justification, and the evidence is necessary. If we don't have, if we don't have any evidence, then we, we, we should wonder, are we saved? Are we justified? There should, be, there should be evidence. There must be evidence. And I love this illustration. When, when we talk about there, there is a judgment of works according to the Bible, even for believers. There is a judgment according to works for believers according to the Bible. And I love this illustration by John Piper to help us understand this. Because I think talking to believers about the judgment of works, it, it makes people sort of scared. Listen to John Piper speak about the thief on the cross. I love the thief on the cross. Do you love the thief on the cross? Uh, that dying thief rejoiced to see that fountain in his day. But there may I, though vile as he, wash all my sins away. John, John Piper says, I like to think, for example, of the thief on the cross. Okay, a lifetime of sin. All he did was sin for what, 40 years? And he's dying. Maybe he even begins on the cross with cursing and swearing. And then, bam! He's born again. Something happens. He believes. He trusts this king, this dying, naked king. He, 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 remember me, Lord. He calls him Lord. When you come into your kingdom, remember me when you come into your kingdom. How does he know he's a king? Somehow, this man gets born again. Remember me, Jesus. And the Spirit blew where He wills. No explanation. This man's repenting. He's crying out for mercy. And Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. That man will experience the judgment according to works. What does that look like? What, what will he have? Not many. Not many works. Half an hour's worth. But they're sweet. And they're real. So the file will be open. This huge file of, 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 of sin that he's lived in all his life up until the last moments. And he'll open it. There's the books where God records everything you've ever done, said, or thought. Every idle word will be given account on the day of judgment. God's recording everything we do and think. There's the books and the book. The book of life. We got the book of life, and you got the books. And these books are really thick. Everything you've ever done, every idle word, Jesus says, everything. They're all written down. So this man's file is getting picked up like this. Wow. And every one of his works gets the grade F. Failure. His grades are all F. Pick them up, throw them out. He's got this little tiny, teeny file in the back. 
What's this? And in it, it says this. Heart was broken for his sin. Recognized Savior. Lovingly exhorted his comrade in evil and died. And the Lord will hold this up to the whole universe and say, He was real. He trusted my son. This is the evidence. So that had he ever read a commandment in the Bible that says you will not enter into the kingdom without a work, he'd know how to interpret it. The work isn't the ground of his acceptance. The work was the fruit of this amazing opening of his heart, believing in Jesus, being justified, and the fruit for 15 minutes, half an hour, an hour. And that goes written down. That's a wonderful, beautiful explanation, believer, of of judgment according to works. If you're righteous in Christ by faith alone, you will produce good works. There will be evidence in your life that you have trusted Jesus. And Jesus is going to reward His people for their good works. He's going to reward you, believer, for the good you do in the body. Colossians 3, 23-25 Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done and there is no partiality. Beloved, do you, do you realize that when you do whatever you do, you're doing it for the Lord Christ? When you change a diaper, mothers, Kim, if you're online, I came in and she had to change her boys. She doesn't have, she doesn't have any boys. She's the first girl, so she wanted the nurse to come in. Show me how to do this. I've never done a boy's diaper. <laughs> Kim, if you're listening to this, you do that in the name of Jesus. And that gives him glory. When you go to work, whatever your occupation, you do that to the Lord Christ. It's Christian service. Whether you're a plumber, a baker, a writer, an IT guy, uh, 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 p- picking up the, the, the trash t- tomorrow, they do it on my street. You, you do that under the Lord to please Him first and foremost and to give Him glory. And He will reward you for that. If you're a student, children, the way you study your homeschooling, you do that under the Lord. More than you do it for your teachers, your parents. More than you do it to get into college. You do it for Jesus. You're learning to read for Jesus and learning to do math for Jesus. You're doing it under the Lord. And He'll reward that. He rewards that. 2 Corinthians 5, 9-10 So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. We, we, we have this great hope from Jesus today that we will hear one day, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. And beloved, I just want to remind you one more time, who does Jesus say in the Sermon on the Mount will be giving rewards? Your Father in heaven who sees in secret will reward you. Who's doing the rewarding in our passage today? Jesus. Just one more time, Jesus is God. 
Jesus is God. And then finally, number three, point three, some of the disciples standing with Jesus will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in His kingdom. Look at verse 28. Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in His kingdom. What does this mean? There, there, there is lots of discussion about what this means. There are different interpretations. I'm going to give you the, the two interpretations that I believe are most biblical and then tell you I believe both of them are true. <laughs> First, what, what, because you know the, 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 the issue here is there's some standing here, so some of these disciples are not going to die before the Son of Man comes in His kingdom. And you might hear that and think, is He talking about they're going to be alive until the second coming of Jesus? Well, Jesus is not back yet. So what, those, all, those apostles have all died. So what is Jesus referring to when He talks about seeing the Son of Man coming in His kingdom? What are we to think of that? Well, one way to think about it is in, in every single synoptic gospel where Jesus says this, right after comes the transfiguration which God willing will get to uh, in, in the coming weeks. And so the kingdom of God coming with power, or, or the Son of Man coming in His kingdom, refers to the transfiguration. The transfiguration, when Jesus is transfigured, he, he, His glory is manifested to Peter, James, and John, some standing there in, in, in ways that it wasn't, and God sort of pulls back the veil to show the glory of the Son. In the preceding verses, Jesus had just spoken about dying to self and losing one's life for His sake, which could have included physical death, and it did include physical death for all of His disciples except John. I mean, Jesus was very literally saying to His disciples, deny yourself and take up your cross and follow Me because you're all going to die. <laughs> right? Except for John. And so some of you standing here will not face this death until you see some amazing, glorious kingdom power. And what a motivator this must have been for those disciples who saw this kingdom power to endure suffering. You know, He gives them a little foretaste. Let me show you what you're going to get. And He shows them. And Peter's like blown away. Let's stay here. Let's build tents for uh, Moses and Elijah and you and me and everybody. Let's just stay right here. But no, no, you got work to do, Peter. You, you got suffering to do. You have testifying to do. We, we got to bring more with us here. But this is what you're going to get. And so you remember this, Peter. You remember this. And let that motivate you to go and preach and suffer and die for my name. Because this is what's coming. The some standing here who will not taste death refer to the fact that Jesus only took three of His disciples with Him onto the Mount of Transfiguration. The Transfiguration is a powerful manifestation of the King of the Kingdom of God, Jesus, in all His glory. So it is a glimpse of the Kingdom of God coming with power. Sinclair Ferguson writes, Six days after Jesus had spoken, He took Peter, James, and John to witness His transfiguration. A connection is drawn between what Jesus said and what He experienced on the Mount of Transfiguration. He seems to be suggesting that the explanation of the cryptic saying lies in what took place at the end of that week. 
There, three of his disciples, some who were standing here, saw the power of God's kingdom, indeed its glory, in an altogether new way. It was as though they caught a glimpse of all that Jesus would be when his kingdom finally came. He was transfigured. His glory was seen. His power and kingly majesty were momentarily visible. It was a foretaste of that day when His kingdom would come with power in His resurrection, when He was declared with power to be the Son of God, Romans 1.4. It was a foretaste, too, of the day of His final glory. Another pastor writes, in all three of the synoptic gospels, this promise is made immediately prior to the transfiguration. Furthermore, the word for kingdom can be understood as royal splendor. Therefore, it seems most natural to interpret this promise as a reference to the transfiguration which some of the disciples, Peter, James, and John, would witness only six days later. Later in Matthew 24, Jesus speaks about His, is asked by His disciples about the sign of your coming. What is the sign of your coming? And part of Jesus' answer is in Matthew 24, 30, then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And so you have this connection between His coming and this power and great glory. And, 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 and Jesus gives the disciples, three of them, a little preview of this power and glory at the transfiguration. And so that's how some understand what Jesus is speaking of. Others understand that the Son of Man coming uh, in, in, in power refers to all the major events in redemptive history connected to the grand establishment of the church and the beginning of Christ's kingly reign. So this would include Jesus' resurrection from the dead, the Holy Spirit being poured out at Pentecost, and the rapid growth of the church as Gentiles are saved and engrafted into God's people in the, we see in the book of Acts. D.A. Carson writes, it seems best to take this verse as having a more general reference, namely not referring simply to the resurrection, to Pentecost or the like, but to the manifestation of Christ's kingly reign exhibited after the resurrection in a host of ways, not the least of them being a rapid multiplication of disciples and the mission to the Gentiles. Some of those standing there would live to see Jesus' gospel proclaimed throughout the Roman Empire and a rich harvest of converts reaped for Jesus the Messiah. I simply don't think we have to choose one or the other, but just like... Dr. Carson didn't choose the resurrection or Pentecost or the outflow of the uh, people being saved. I, I just throw in there, yeah, and the transfiguration. All of it. Jesus is talking about all of it. Some of y'all going to see this. I think they both are correct. I think both these interpretations are so closely connected that they are essentially two manifestations or fulfillments of the one meaning of the text. The coming of the kingdom of God, Jesus, the Son of Man, coming in power is seen in the transfiguration and some saw it before they tasted death. And the glorious events of Jesus' resurrection, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost and the explosive growth of the church's sinners are saved and follow Jesus is also the coming of, 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 of the Son of Man in His kingdom in power and some saw it before they tasted death as well. All of this is leading up to the point in time when Jesus, the Son of Man, will, will come and His kingdom will fully come in the new heavens and the new earth. And Christ is manifested in all His glory for all eternity, putting all His enemies under His feet. And oh, beloved church, we ought to long for more and more of Christ's kingdom to come with power now. The kingdom is here now, but there's more to come as well. That's why we pray in the Lord's Prayer, Our Father, who art in heaven, 
Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Do you pray for this? Do you work for this? Is your life about the business of bringing people with you? Did you know that most missionaries in the world, when they go and do missions in hard places, they don't go as missionaries per se? They, they go with nine to five jobs. But they know why they're there. Yes, to work hard. Yes, to honor their boss. Yes, to do their work. But they're on a mission to see sinners come to Christ. And that's on their mind. Beloved, do you pray for this? Do you work for this? We ought to pray for opportunities for God to advance His kingdom through us. Pray for opportunities to tell others about the King of Kings and His death and resurrection. We ought to warn people that Jesus is coming back. That He will judge the wicked. And He will reward the righteous. And we ought to want to see more and more of this happen every day. And it will. And it will be successful. Because Jesus is King. Jesus' kingdom, mighty King. Above all powers, He would claim and every one of earth's kings tame for the glory and fame of His beautiful name. What Jesus says will always go. And all He says, it will be so. His words are right so long ago with truth and grace. They always flow. And when this world is gone with woe, His words will stand forever so. He'll conquer every doubting foe. All to His grace our praise we owe. For on that cross His love He'd show and rise again so we could know salvation's gift on us bestow then by His Word will daily grow. All the Bible is true and clear. For our God spoke to bring us near. All words are true and do cohere. Don't doubt His Word and from Him veer. God's Word came down. He did appear and died and rose to save from fear. His love and beauty have no peer. So give Him your attentive ear. He'll save you from judgment severe and grant you life with joyous cheer. If Him by faith you'll trust sincere. Some truths God spoke are hard to understand. Our sinful minds His truth withstand. Our wants and wishes we demand. And for this sin the cross was planned. Christ died and rose at God's command. Triumphant over death He'll stand. His kingdom will ever expand. He'll hold us in His strong right hand. He's all the glory in this land. Some standing there would not taste death until God's kingdom came Excuse me, some standing there would no death taste until God's kingdom came with haste. The meaning of this must be traced. Is Christ transfigured a foretaste? Is this the cross where He's disgraced? His rising where all death erased? Or Pentecost the Spirit's placed? Or when the temple is defaced? On all these truths, His kingdom's based. The greatest foes our King has faced and crushed the evils we've embraced. So with salvation we'll be graced and be all cleansed and pure and chaste to never more be dead disgraced. Be assured of this, 
His kingdom came with power. And there's more to come at this age's last hour. Over all authorities, our King will tower. All those who reject Him from His wrath, they cower. But on His beloved children, blessings He will shower. He'll take all in your life that's been sad or sour and turn it for joy like a blooming flower. All enemies against you He'll finally devour. For He's the greatest of the greats, the world's superpower. Christ Jesus someday will return with Father's glory to confirm. We are His, repay in turn, for what we've done for Him affirm. We're saved since Christ got what we'd earn. For sin we all deserve to burn. But Jesus died and rose to turn God's wrath away for us we learn. He is our Savior, so discern. Make Him our deep and great concern. He is our all, for Him we yearn. Father, we pray that would be true of us. Lord, that for You we would deeply yearn. That we would yearn for Your return. That we would yearn to be with You in prayer. That we would yearn to be with You amongst Your people. That we would yearn to be faithful disciples. That we would yearn to grow in Christ's likeness and humility. That we would yearn to, to tell others the good news. That we would, we would yearn for Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, give us these desires that please You. Lord, help us be eagerly waiting for the return of Christ. Help us to do what we ought to be doing to hasten the day of, of Your return. Lord, help us grow in our love for You, our faithfulness, our humility. God, our love. Lord, we pray if anyone's here, if they've not come to believe on Jesus, we pray that today would be the day, God, that You cause them to be born again like that thief on the cross. You would cause them to be born again and grant them faith and repentance that they might live for King Jesus. And Lord, we thank You that You promise to reward us. God, for all that we do for You by faith, by the Holy Spirit, that You take notice, that You love us, that You will reward us, Your people, and say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of Your Lord. God, help us do that, we pray for Jesus' sake. Amen.